Sisters and brothers in Christ, grace and peace to you this day from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. So our gospel text for today picks up as the rest of the story from last week's text. Pastor Pastor Dave did a great job of setting up this text for us. Jesus is at the beginning of his marvelous ministry tour in Upper Galilee. By this time in the narrative, Jesus has been baptized by John in the Jordan. He's endured the 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. He's called a few unsuspecting characters to be his disciples. And he has revealed God's glory come down to earth in some pretty unique and amazing ways. But now we find him back in his hometown of Nazareth, where on the Sabbath day, the last day of the week, he's in the synagogue, as was his custom. And he's asked to read the scripture and give a little homily. When we pick up the story, Jesus had just read from the Isaiah scroll what we now know as chapter 61. And it reminds all the people of the prophet's promises about good news for the poor, release for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, freedom for the oppressed, and about the year of the Lord's favor, or what was known as Jubilee. And they liked what they were hearing. But Jesus knows that they'd like more than just to hear about this. They'd like to see some of his amazing works, his miracles, which is why he kind of teases them with this old proverb, Dr. Cure Yourself. He knows they're all thinking, Jesus, do this for us. Your hometown, family, and friends, like we've heard you've done everywhere else, especially up in Capernaum. Release some captives here. Heal some of us that are sick. Give us some of that Lord's favor to your hometown crew. Now, if you're doing it for them, you can surely do it for us. But Jesus reminds them that the Lord's favor, the prophet spoke about, isn't about playing favorites. The Lord's favor isn't about favorites. So when Jesus reads from the Isaiah scroll, the voice of the prophet is speaking about something that was very close to the heart of every Jewish worshiper, especially in the time of Jesus, because it speaks of the promised Messiah. Now, you've heard me teach and preach about this before. Talking about the Messiah in and amongst Jewish worshipers raised all kinds of excitement and expectations. For many centuries, the Hebrew people had endured all kinds of things, like neighboring nations attacking them and conquering them, being sent into exile, having the temple destroyed, having their culture diminished as the dominant culture in society. And there is a laundry list of cultures that impact the Hebrew people. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, in the midst of those two, the Egyptians come, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. But the Jewish people are clinging to the promise that the Messiah is coming and that they would reestablish Israel is the nation above all nations. That they would be released from the oppression that they felt. That they would show God's favor once and for all. This is what they believed. But they'd also forgotten that all of this had come about out of God's wrath because of their disobedience. So Jesus rolls up the scroll, sits down, and tells them, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing it. And they're like, what? When does this favor come to us? When will we see it, hear it, know it? Surely we are God's chosen people. 
But Jesus goes on to remind them that back in the days of Elijah during the famine, when all of Israel, that is God's chosen people, could use a little release, a little recovery, a little favor, that Elijah was sent to someone outside of them, to a Gentile widow in Zarephath. He reminds them also during the good old days of the prophet Elisha, when there were many Hebrew lepers who could also have used some restoration and some cleansing, but God sends Elisha to an outsider, to Naaman the Syrian. So in hearing this, Jesus' hometown crowd loses their ever-loving God-blessed minds. You mean this grace and favor and recovery and release stuff isn't just for us? Isn't God supposed to look out for us first? You mean we don't take care of our own first and then decide who might be worthy? You mean this recovery, release, and freedom is for them? Why does God do good things to bad people? As I was listening to the Luther House of Study podcast this week, one of the commentators said, well, that escalated rather quickly. Because you see, to begin to grasp what Jesus' hometown crowd was upset about or what had unsettled them, we need to be reminded about the significance or rather yet maybe the insignificance of God's favor coming to the widow and the leper outside of them. The widow and the leper were at the bottom of the barrel on the social standing. They were outcasts, they were unclean, they were unworthy, unlovable, unwanted by the rest of the world. So for Jesus to proclaim that God's favor was shown to these kind of people was a pretty big deal. But that wasn't all. Not only was he talking about the outcast, the shamed, and the sinners, he was talking about people outside of the chosen which seems to imply that there isn't anyone beyond God's reach, beyond God's love. So my question to you today is, as Christ's church in the world today, does any of this hit home for you? Could there be a timely lesson for us at this point in our own church story? If Jesus walked into our midst here at First Lutheran, filled with those of us who call ourselves the family of faith, brothers and sisters in Christ, a welcoming home in the heart of Sioux Falls, what would he find? And what would he do? What would we do when we're reminded of the likes of Naaman? I'm afraid the truth is that many of us might be offended. Or we're just too busy looking over cliffs whenever the message of God's grace, love, and mercy, and most specifically, his favor, is known. And when he refuses to play favorites the way we think he should. I think this story is a first century example of our 21st century reality. But again, God's love doesn't insist on its own way. It isn't arrogant, boastful, or rude. So the question for us are the same questions that Jesus' hometown family and friends were wrestling with that day. Are there widows and lepers among us? Who are the unlovable, the unworthy, or the unwanted as we sit here today?
Even more so, who is outside the circle of God's favor as far as we're concerned? Isn't God's grace and mercy, which is his favor, big enough for the whole human family? Are there dividing lines that exist in our midst that push others out of knowing God's favor? Is God's grace for the married, the unwed, and the divorced? For the rich and the poor? For the highly educated and for those who only have a PhD in real life? How about this? Is God's grace only for those that like traditional worship more than those who might like a little more contemporary worship? Is God's favor only for those who have jobs flexible enough to be here during weekdays? Is God's grace only for those who sit in a pew or is it also for those who watch by television, YouTube, or live stream? How about the non-Lutheran, the unbaptized, the unchurched, the unrepentant? What do we do with them? Today's gospel reminds me that in all of these questions, that none of this is up to you or me. None of this is for you or me to decide. God's favor is just that. It's God's favor. And he will show it to whom he will show it. It's not for any one of us to dictate or deny. We're all called to celebrate it, to live in it, and above all, to share it. We can try to limit God's grace or draw lines in the sand or keep it for ourselves. We could even try to silence the truth by hurling the messenger over a cliff running him out of town or nailing, to, nailing him to a cross. But of course, that's been done. And the resurrection reminds us that God's grace, that is God's favor, will be shared no matter what. The good news of Jesus will bring good news to the poor, release to the captive, restore sight to the blind, set the oppressed free, and above all, God's favor will be proclaimed to those he wants to proclaim it. So when I hear this lesson, I hear the challenge to see how I may be a stumbling block in God's way. And it calls me to get out of the way. What I hear is a call to us as the church, here at First Lutheran and the larger church as a whole, to not be left standing on the cliff like the people of Nazareth, only to find that Jesus has passed through the midst of us, untouched and specifically unheard. Jesus shows his favor to each of you each and every day. His favor comes in the rising of the sun to a new day. The air that you breathe, which is his breath of life. In all of the goodness that is his daily bread. And even more so, his favor comes in your baptismal promises to remind you that you are favored. You are chosen. And his favor comes to you again and again in his body and blood, which speak these sweet words. You are forgiven. Today I pray that God would make his favor known to you in such a way that it would overflow in you in abundance, with so much abundance that it would spill over and that you would tell it to everyone that you meet, inviting them to know God's favor. That like the prophet Jeremiah, God has put his words in your mouth. 
Because for others to come and to know God's favor is to speak it, to show it, to invite them to also experience it. And that is freedom and faith, hope and love. And the greatest of these, of course, is the love that comes in Christ Jesus our Lord. This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing it. Thanks be to God. Amen.